It was the last few hours of his life, and he knew it. As the clock kept ticking and the pressure kept mounting, so too did the questions. It seemed that everyone wanted to know his perspective on important matters, either to learn more or to use his words against him. It was hard to know. And so as one respected man after another grilled this guy about his purpose, about his stance on God, it seemed that no particular response was the definitive nail in the coffin. And so in frustration, the group took him to the highest ranking official they could find in order for him to be questioned some more. And this official, he didn't want to waste any time. He wanted to get to the heart of the matter. And so he looked at the man and basically asked him, what is your mission all about? The man told him, he said, the reason I was born was to testify to the truth. All those on the side of truth listen to me. Well, that was quite a response. And the official thought about it and then had a response all his own. He looked at the man and basically said to Jesus, What is truth? What is truth? People have been asking that question ever since. And it's led to a variety of different conclusions, which has brought about one change after another in our society. I don't know if you've noticed, but our country is changing at a very rapid pace. And so as Christians, the question for us is not if we will collide with our culture, but how we will collide with our culture. You see, in a country that acknowledges God without truly seeking God, impact is inevitable. And we are called as Christians to collide with our culture in ways that bring healing and not hurt. And so through this series, Collide, we're going to take a look at a variety of different matters that are going on in our country, in our culture right now. We're going to learn about them, but I think more importantly, take a look at how we can respond to others with grace, love, and truth. And I think if we do this, friends, the results will be revolutionary. And so regarding that word I just mentioned, truth. What's the status of truth here in America? Do you know what it is? Is it clear to you? Well, in a nutshell, let me just kind of tell you. Many people here in our country today believe that you have your corner of the truth, and I got my corner of the truth. And our truths, of course, may not align. They might be different altogether, but still, both are true. Both are valid. You can see things differently, and that's okay because everything's true. And yet, if that's true, that everyone has their own truth, let me ask you, why is it there are some things that we see clearly as a people? Why is it, as a group, as a collective group in our country, we would look at some things and we would call them wrong? We take a look at company presidents who misuse funds and and use them for themselves to make themselves rich, and we would say, well, that is wrong. Or we take a look at professional comics who drug and take advantage of women. And we would say, well, that is wrong. Or we take a look at some of these televangelists who manipulate the poor in order to make themselves rich. And we would say, that is wrong. But in the face of our culture, you got to ask, what's all the fuss about? Because if you ask any one of these people why they're doing what they're doing... They would merely tell you, well, I'm operating according to my truth. 
You have no right to judge me. I'm not judging you. You got your truth. I got my truth. And in our hearts, we know something is, is not right. In our minds, we know that conflicting statements cannot both be valid. And in our souls, we know that there are some things that are true while others are false. And yet, because we live in this culture, we kind of throw our hands up in the air. and We say, well, what is truth? What is it? In order to answer that question this morning, I think it's important for us to understand how it is that we got here. What was the road? And we're going to take a look, first of all, at the history of truth. And as we do, I want to credit Chip Ingram. He was helpful to me in some of this. But let's take a look at how truth over time, in the minds of some people, has progressed. In the minds of others, has degressed. Let's take a look, first of all, at the first 1,200 years of the church. You see, in those times, men and women didn't have access to the Bibles that we hold today. They didn't. And so if they wanted to know what the truth was, they looked to the church. And it was there that priests who were trained in the languages would convey scripture to the people, letting them know what was right and what was wrong. In fact, in the face of all these masses of people, they looked at the truth and the church as being synonymous. Absolutely no difference between the two. After all, the church and the people were focused on Christ. And as Christ said to Pilate, everyone on the side of the truth listens to me, listens to Christ. And then came the Renaissance and the Reformation. In this period of time, people began to embrace intellectualism. They began to think more for themselves. And in their search for more, they began to understand that humankind, that we are the crown jewel of God's creation. And this led to the study of Greek literature and the in-depth study of the Bible. It led some to the writings of the Apostle Paul, who wrote of the depths of truth that many people so desperately wanted to mine. It was also during this time period that a priest by the name of Martin Luther identified a problem. In his studies, he began to see that what Scripture clearly stated and what some of the priests were teaching back then was in direct conflict with each other. Human beings are prone to error, after all. And so eventually, Martin Luther brought about a drastic change in society. Instead of moral authority being placed in the hands of priests, moral authority was now placed in the words of the Bible. And still, the saying held true. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, listens to Jesus. But then came the Enlightenment and the Age of Reason. In this time period, Thomas Aquinas, a theologian and philosopher, taught that every aspect of who we are as human beings is sinful and depraved except the mind. The mind could be taught to rise above it all if it were truly dedicated in the pursuit of acquiring more knowledge and education. Other philosophers joined this movement and developed a pathway whereby mankind embraced self-sufficiency. And the result was human reason versus godly wisdom. You see, the seed had been planted and the pathway had been plotted for man to determine for himself what was right and wrong. And so while researchers in the Renaissance period strongly embraced the writings of the Apostle Paul, researchers in the Enlightenment period forsook him. They set aside this writing, for example. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. In the excitement of their pursuit, these philosophers set Jesus aside while twisting his words just a bit. 
Now, they said, everyone on the side of truth listens to reason. Reason of the collective mind. All of our great minds put together. And then came the Industrial Revolution and evolution. It was during this period of time that that what we saw was this growth in self-sufficiency. One invention after another, of course, surfaced in society, making man feel like he was God himself. It seemed that everything important in life began to progress at a rapid pace. Man's standard of living was on the rise. His ability to travel the world was on the rise. His ability to transform culture was on the rise. Man was evolving, and as a result, had started an outright revolution. And this is when Charles Darwin stepped up to the plate with his book, The Origin of Species. This book not only transformed the world of science, but it impacted the world at large as well. Eventually, the arenas of of politics and economics quickly embraced the view that life, friends, was not rooted in something God ordained. Heavens, no. Life is ever evolving. And this very evolution was being brought about by none other than man himself. As a result, they altered the statement of the past, which stated that everyone on the side of the truth listens to collective reason. And then changed it to everyone on the side of truth listens to themselves. And as they listened to themselves, each person, the words of the Apostle Paul faded off into the distance. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Philosophers back then were doing all they could to promote the latest fad, which of course was the latest truth. And then came the pursuit of pragmatism. It was during this period that Albert Einstein emerged. And, of course, he built upon the recent past by professing that anything that you see can be evaluated from more than one reference point. And the outcome was this, that there are many ways and many possibilities. Armed with Einstein's work, a man by the name of John Dewey became the man of the hour. And he began to change the central question that people have been asking of themselves for centuries He said, instead of asking what is right or wrong, people should be asking what works. And as a result, Christ's words were twisted just a little bit more. For the past age, it stated everyone on the side of truth listens to themselves. Now they were stating everyone on the side of truth listens to what works. And what really worked, of course, was a prayer that had long been set aside. A prayer that still works today. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And then came the debate between relative truth and absolute truth. We're still in that debate today. See, now that people have been encouraged to embrace what worked for them, it wasn't long until truth was treated like a corpse. You view it, you remember it, but you don't embrace it. Because after all, truth is dead if it were ever living at all. But if that's the case, why is it that sometimes, again, we as a collective people get so upset about certain things? We want to know what the truth is. Why is it, if truth is dead, that this is one of the famous scenes of movie history? Take a look. Colonel, the 
Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut these guys loose! Your Honor, you had Marcus inside a phony transfer! Your Honor, you doctored the logbook! You coerced the doctor! Consider yourself in contempt! Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Our culture, however, believes the truth is dead. And I would say perhaps truth isn't dead. Perhaps our culture merely can't handle the truth. And this would explain why you and I have heard some of the following statements over time. If it feels good, do it. Right? Have it your way. Whatever makes you happy, whatever floats your boat. You see, relative truth, and it's important for us to understand this, relative truth is the idea that truth, morality, and justice are constantly evolving and determined continually upon one's own personal preference or opinion. And so what I believed yesterday, well, no longer is true today. And what I believe is true today, two weeks from now, will no longer be true because I'll embrace yet a different truth. And here's the reason why, if we're really going to be honest about it. We change our truth depending upon what is easiest for us in the moment. And suddenly that becomes the latest truth. And then there's absolute truth. It's the idea that truth, morality, and justice were determined a long time ago by God and is not based on one's personal preference or opinion. Friends, there's a stark contrast between the two. And even so, which version of truth is winning? Well, without question, relative truth is winning the day, no matter what religious convictions people claim to hold. In fact, in the book Boiling Point, researchers discovered this astounding truth. Take a look at this. That 85% of adults here in America claim to believe in God and that religious faith is important to their lives. 85%. And with that number, you would think, I mean, a vast majority of people would be all about God's truth, standing in the truth, operating in the truth. But here's the problem. When more and more people and more and more Christians don't read our Bibles, don't know what God's Word says, well, suddenly whatever we hear in culture seems to make sense because it works for us in the moment. And suddenly more and more, without even knowing it, We've embraced relative truth while still saying, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And how do I know this? Well, the same researchers continue the study. Take a look at what they found. That even though 85% claim to believe in God, religious faith is important to their lives, just one in four adults believe in absolute moral truth. That's only 25%. Just one in ten teenagers believe in absolute moral truth. Ten percent. And just less than half of professing Christians believe in absolute moral truth. And as a result, we got this idea that absolute truth is dead or it's quickly dying. Even a majority of espousing Christians hold to this view. Even though the Bible clearly states, friends, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even so, a majority of Christians, and of course, Americans today, not only embrace relative truth, kind of worship it. Have you been listening? 
You have your truth. I got my truth. What's right for me is right for me. And what's right for you is right for you. Have you been buying that? You believe that? If so, I'd like for you to consider that a a proverb written in ancient times so very long ago still holds merit today. I love this. Here's what it says. What is true is not new. And what is new is not true. Take a look at that. It's the idea if we stumbled across something that now seems like the truth, ah, probably isn't. And yet the masses today in our country, we are just screaming and embracing a whole lot of new out there, aren't we? I mean, the idea today is whatever is new is true, and whatever was yesterday was passe, and you throw it away. Friends, it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to stand on God's word. It's time for us to truly follow Jesus with no turning back. No turning back. That's the call he's placed on us. But here's the truth, if you really stop to think about it. That many people today who defend relative truth actually live their lives in a manner consistent with somebody who embraces absolute truth. For example, well, they would say, and they, you can hear it on, on the news, you can hear it on broadcast, they would say it is wrong to judge another person or culture based on whatever they believe, which is in itself an absolute statement. They often stand strongly against racism, child pornography, the oppression of women. Friends, it seems in a world where there are no absolutes any longer, These relativists have found a few absolutes of their own. I would actually agree with their statements regarding those things because they are wrong. But wait a second. What game are you playing? You can't say the one minute that everyone has their own truth. You can operate however you want to because it's all true. And then say that there are truths that are held by all. Wait a second. And suddenly our culture is confused. Suddenly, we've got tension. Suddenly, we've got people that we watch on the news acting in such ways that would have embarrassed our country 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago because now everyone's got their truth. Friends, it's important for us to understand, I think there's only really four foundations for truth we need to think about for us as a people, for us as a country. The first is anarchy. Anarchy. And with this possibility, every person in culture, of course, creates their own truth and lives by their own truth. And however a person chooses to live, he or she must not be judged by anyone else. In the Old Testament, there was a time when this existed, anarchy. Judges 21-25 says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Basically... If I want to steal what you own, the government has no right to stop me, and neither do you. If I'd rather you have my wife and I have yours, well then, who are you to impinge upon my truth, my will? Now, there was a time in history where people would say, you know what? Anarchy has never worked and will never work. And yet, in our country today, in our culture today, we are dancing with anarchy. We're dancing with it having a good time, partying to the end of the night. And then, of course, you got this option, majority rule. 
With this possibility, of course, a lot of people think this is good. A majority votes and determines what's right for everyone. Again, a lot of people think this is a good option. The problem, of course, is that a majority of people can be wrong. Because when we're left to our own desires, whatever makes us feel good in the moment, and we're not rooted in something God ordains, suddenly a majority will go this way instead of that way. We see majority rule in a certain portion of our own government here in the United States. is evidenced, for example, uh, by our, the way that we vote or by the Supreme Court. Here we have a small group of people that vote on really important matters. And one person can sway what is true this way or that way, which is why we're seeing in the news what we're trying to hold off, or we don't want to go there yet, because one group wants to make sure that this is truth, and it's ever-evolving, and another group wants to say, whoa, wait a second, no, this is truth. It's why there was a time in our country we would say, well, abortion is clearly wrong, but then suddenly it became right overnight. It's why 10 years ago, gay marriage wouldn't have even been a thought. And suddenly overnight, gay marriage is right. We should esteem it. Friends, a majority can be wrong. And then, of course, you have totalitarianism. With this option, power is placed in the hands of just one person who determines for everybody what is right or what is wrong. And the apostle abuses, of course, they're obvious. If you study history at all, you would know of one such leader, Joseph Stalin. Death is the solution to all problems. No man, no problem. The kind of guy you want to go golfing with, you know, kind of catch breakfast with, hang out. And then, of course, you got this guy, Adolf Hitler. Totalitarianism, anybody? And then lastly, you got this option, absolute truth. And with this possibility, everyone agrees that there are certain rules or truths that guide society. And we clearly know what they are. You've heard of such an idea before. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness against your neighbor, covet. These things we can't do because these are laws that we live by. They guide our society. They're called God's top ten. And this list could be seen in various places throughout our country several years ago, but now they're being removed because relative truth rules the day. And even so, I want you to think about this truth. That our country was founded on absolutes. It was founded on absolutes. Take a look. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Now, these truths that are so self-evident, which means, of course, they're really easy to see. I mean, everyone can see that these things are true. These things are self-evident. And yet, many people today would look at some of the same things and say, what? It's not that self-evident to me any longer. Some would say, what were our founding fathers thinking? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. I'm sorry, we have rights that are shared by all? 
I thought that, that you have your right and I have my right. You have your truth and I have my truth. And I thought we do not have the right to judge each other based on our differences regarding our rights and regarding our truths. I guess that was then and this is now. Forgive me. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So friends, if I'm getting this right. We have the following rights in common. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that kind of binds us together as a people, doesn't it? And from where or from whom do we get these rights in absolute truths? Our founding father stated it very clearly. We get these truths from none other than God, our creator. And in the Bible, what does God say about himself? He says, I, the Lord, do not change. I do not change. Friends, think about this. If God doesn't change, then neither do the truths he gave us. What God stated thousands of years ago today still holds true today. We're not to murder. We're not to commit adultery. We're not to steal. We're not to do a host of other things either. And this kind of brings us back full circle. It brings us back to that crucial conversation that Pilate had with Jesus, where he wanted to know what his mission was all about. Jesus said, the reason I was born was to testify to the truth. All those on the side of truth, listen to me. Friends, I think it's obvious today in our culture that our culture, our country is no longer listening to him. Jesus is a great guy. Jesus is somebody to be respected for sure. Jesus said a lot of great things just as long as I can kind of choose which things I want to listen to and which things I want to throw away. And as a result, friends, our country is all messed up. It seems, friends, that along with everyone's pursuit of their own truth has emerged a whole lot of pain People seem trapped, they seem confused, they seem lost, held in a prison largely of their own making. See, the idea is this, that everyone hopes that by pursuing their own version of truth, that their lives are going to work out for the better. But the problem is, things aren't getting any better. Anyone tracking with me? And this is why absolute truth is so important, friends. Pilate wondered what truth was. Many people today still wonder what truth is. And Jesus stated not only that he knew what the truth was, but that he himself was that truth. Then he stated very clearly what truth will do for you and what truth will do for me. He says this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Freedom. Freedom. It's what the world wants. It's what we clamor for. And that's why we think we're free to kind of build our own sandbox. I got my sandbox. You got your sandbox. We're free to kind of play with whatever sandbox we create for ourselves. But the problem is that these different sandboxes collide. Because you cannot have two truths that are completely opposite at the same time. They collide with each other. And as a result, there's hurt, there's anger, there's disunity. No, Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And here's the truth, that God created one sandbox for us all to play in. 
And he says, here are the rules. Here's how you're to treat one another. And in that world, when we know these things, then I know how I can honor you. And you know how you can honor me. And we know together when somebody has stepped out of the sandbox, when somebody has done wrong, and it's very clear. But if we embrace this view that truth is ever-changing and morphing, depending on whatever works for me right now, our country, we as a people, are going to combust. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Friends, it's time for us to read God's Word. It's time for us to embrace what Jesus really said. And it's time for us to know these things with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we can embrace a culture that wants to operate in this truth that whatever is good for them, and we can stand in the face of that and lovingly say, oh, there's a God who's created truth. And if we just submit to him instead of operating as little gods ourselves, creating our own worlds, we'll be able to live in God's sandbox. Live freely, live with peace, live with love for one another. That's what God desires for us. That kind of truth, that kind of freedom. In fact, God was so committed to us experiencing that kind of freedom that he sent his son, Jesus, to die in my place, in your place, so that we could ultimately be free. And so this morning as we talk about truth, God's truth, not ours, not what works best for us, but no, His truth, because He knows what's best for us. We're going to end our service today remembering Him, Jesus, the one that we said, I'm going to follow you, no turning back. Jesus, you are truth, and if I follow you and if I embrace you, then your truth is going to set me free. And so as the ushers come forward, when those elements pass and you hold that bread in your hand, and you hold that cup in your hand, thank Jesus for who he is. And make sure you're aware that as you're holding those elements in your hand, they represent truth. Friends, the only truth that can set us free, the only truth that can cover our sins and all of our wrongdoing. This is why we remember him right now. If we follow Jesus, we'll know the truth, and the truth will make us free. Let's celebrate and remember that truth right here this morning.